welcome to the Cover to Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover to Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil from Cover 2 Resources. Dayton, Ohio had one of the highest overdose rates in the country in 2017. Montgomery County, Ohio, anchored by Dayton, had 548 overdose deaths by the end of November last year. So far this year, there have been 250, a 54% reduction over the prior year. So what happened? To determine the answer to that question, the New York Times spent several days in Dayton interviewing police and public health officials, doctors, nurses, and other treatment providers, people in recovery from opioid addiction, and people still using heroin and other drugs. In the article, they profiled some of the programs behind their success. In today's episode, we'll talk with the people who developed the game-changing programs that are making a difference in Dayton, beginning with Dr. Mary Huber who helped found Conversations for Change, an event held every other month offering an innovative approach to connecting those struggling with substance use disorder with help. Dr. Huber is the program director for the master's degree program in rehabilitation counseling with an emphasis in chemical dependency at Wright State. So, Dr. Huber, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for including me. So, your community got some well-deserved recognition in the New York Times last month for the strides that you've been able to make reducing overall deaths in your community by 54% over the prior year. And one of the programs that was cited in that article was your Conversations for Change. So can you tell us a little bit about how that program started, that program that you helped to found? Definitely. Um, Well, first of all, myself and our team were very thankful for the New York Times to highlight some positive things going on in Dayton. Um, because Dayton has had the highest rate per capita of overdose and deaths, um, and there's been plenty of coverage on that, um, you know, we've, we've gotten lots of negative coverage. And um, it's nice to, to be highlighted with something that we feel is very positive for the community. Um, but it sure takes a lot of effort. Uh, we started our first Conversations for Change in the uh, late winter, early spring of 2014, started planning the event in 2013 with a grant that East End Community Center received from um, the Department of Criminal Justice or the Bureau of Justice Administration, BGA. And that money allowed East End to do many things. One of them was to be creative in, in developing some form of community intervention to um, help those who were, at that point, suffering mainly from heroin we actually started like sending brochures to neighborhoods and having police drop off information, which did not work um, because many people were afraid of the police. Um, another byproduct of our program is that many people are not afraid of the police anymore, and they know that police officers in the area care. Um, at any rate, we had to be creative in how can we get the word out. So, um, you know, we were able to put pamphlets in um, uh, you know, in community centers, um, contact probation officers who had clients who were on probation 
for um, this type of drug. And we just reached out to Prevention Coalition, Drug Free Coalition members, um, and had members send out uh, invitations to their clients. So we went from um, our second Conversations of Change being only two people, and we thought that we might even give up, to now averaging more than 30 um, you know, per session. The providers that come are um, treatment providers mainly, and we're expanding that. But we also have Project Dawn, and they're from um, Good Samaritan, and they provide Narcan training, and they give out Narcan kits to anybody who wants one. And then we have treatment providers at little kiosks or tables, and they can interact with people who come in. And then we provide a meal. And we also um, have Dayton Mediation Center there, as well as some of my students and some of the um, members of the team, even the police officers, are trained in motivational interviewing. So we offer a one-on-one conversation for anyone who wants to talk about where they are in their recovery process. Um, So we, we have a combination of people who are actually addicted to opiates and then family members who attend, and then we have the providers and um, Again, we've learned some things from the way that we do this process where we, we now, you know, find areas of the communities that we haven't tapped into and, and go to different churches um, and more recently the Dayton Fellowship Club on the west side. So we're, we're tapping into different groups of people now. So it's expanding more and more. So tell us a little bit about how a typical meeting unfolds. Sure. It's um, from 5 to 7. Um, we try to be consistent on having it the third Thursday of the month. Um, initially, people come in and they sign up, and you know we greet them with a friendly hello, and that's usually one of my students or another member of the East End community um, team. And then we talk about what's offered there, and so then they go into a larger room, and that's where we have a meal, and um, people start eating, and that might take about 20 minutes, and in the middle of that, when people are getting situated, um, we announce what they can attend. And so we offer Narcan training for those who want it. Um, and then that's in another room. So, so the group who wants the Narcan training would go to that room to receive that. And then we have the other group. They can talk to um, providers and they can um, have separate conversations about their own recovery. And we bring in people who are in recovery and they tell their story as well. So that's sort of an inspiring part of the program. And then when we're, we, we do each of those and then we flip-flop. So if somebody attended the speaker who's talking about their recovery um, and that's over with, then they can attend the Narcan training and then those who had the Narcan training can also hear a speaker. Um, so it's, it's, it gets a little rough because if we have too many people, it's difficult to have those activities finish in two hours, but we don't, we, you know, we don't want to hold people all night, and two hours seems to be a good time. Um, and then the things that we're adding, which I think is just really, really um, exciting, is that we're realizing that we are attracting more people who are in early recovery versus people who are using and need treatment. And so we're going to begin offering um, another area and offering them to sign up for job skills training, um, sign up for uh, a need to help me get my driver's license back or to get a state ID. Um, these are some of the things that people lose in their addiction, and we're, we're attracting those people. We're, and we found that out because we do a little evaluation at the end 
before they received a little gift card for incentive. But we've learned that we have people now, 50% um, or more are saying that they are in recovery. And so now, okay, you're in recovery. What are the barriers you're facing? You know, what, what is it that you need now? And so we've sort of stepped up conversations for change to meet the, the attendees. And that's really exciting to me. Yeah, absolutely. So let me go to some of the participants in the program to get a better handle on their roles, such as the Mediation Center. What do those people do? Well, the Mediation Center um, is a service in Dayton for, for anybody who has some sort of conflict and conflict resolution. And so they're trained in motivational interviewing. And so um, it's really important when somebody is struggling with addiction and wanting recovery to meet them where they are. And that's what motivational interviewing is all about. So my students, uh, law enforcement, East End staff are trained in techniques that basically, you know, listening to the person and and where are you in your recovery? Because if you don't do that and your personal goal is you you certainly want to help the person and you want them to be abstinent, but if they're not there and, and you're trying to push them into some sort of total abstinence model, you're not going to be able to help them. So if somebody is just really deep in their addiction, um, and it's not to say that you don't want that person to get there, but if they're deep into their addiction, where are they? Are you getting safe needles? Are, are you using um, condoms for protective sex? These are harm reduction techniques because that world of using many, many consequences, health consequences occur as a result. So how can we best help those people who come without placing our desire to have them all in recovery? That's what we want, right? We want, we want a healthy community. But we need to meet them where they are, and that's what motivational interviewing and that's what the Mediation Center does. And that's where we got the term conversation because the Mediation Center, we have a conversation with each person if they would like that. So I note that family members are also invited to be involved. Is there an opportunity for perhaps an engine there, utilizing your mediation people, or how does that work? You know, I would say that, that what we offer is an intervention, um, you know, at a larger scale. If somebody's working with somebody and, and a family member, and they're there, and they're having this conversation, and they reach out, and they want help. They want family counseling. You know, we certainly can set that up, but what we're doing at the Conversations for Change is, is you know, seeing where they are, and basically, that is an intervention. It, it's, a, it's a baby step. It's, you know, one more piece of, of information or caring or compassion that somebody can receive that hopefully will get them one step closer to recovery. So in a sense, if a person talks to somebody for 20 minutes about the, the family as a whole, um, that can truly be um, a family intervention that happens at Conversations for Change. But because of the time limit, we can't do you know, long counseling sessions. Now, I understand that uh, some of the other hurdles that you help the participants overcome would be things such as their housing and their insurance. Yes, those are things that um, in an informal way we can provide and we can direct them to East End Community Service and they can have um, 
um, sessions, meetings with a social worker to get those things going for them. But with this new approach that we have in 2019, we're actually going to have a checklist that's provided that has things like you just said, housing, um, job skills training, resume writing, um, food, shelter, um, driver's license. And so we're going to more formally find out what a person needs. And then the other thing that's really exciting that happened this past year because of a a different program, um, our peer support program, they have an opportunity at Conversations for Change to meet with um, what is called a certified peer supporter, and that's a person who is in recovery and has their own experience. Plus, they've spent two weeks of training um, with Columbus and are certified uh, peer supporters in Ohio. And they actually, it's it's a developing profession, and we pay them. And they reach out to people who need help. So they're at the um, Conversations for Change. And we ask them, would you like a peer to follow you up after you leave here? Um, you've met maybe some of our peers. Would you like them to follow you up? And I would say that, um, like, for example, the last Conversations for Change that we had, 85% of the people wanted a peer to call them and follow up. And that peer is another way that we can... Um, have access to an individual after the conversation and try to help them with their barriers when the, and with the things that they need in the environment. Plus, they see this role model. They see a person who um, experienced some of the things that they're experiencing, and they've overcome that, and they're happy, and they're succeeding, and they're functioning in life. And so that's a really neat aspect of Conversations for Change. So along the way, we've, we've grown so the program has been up and rolling since 2014, and mm-hmm. it's year over year, it's consistently gained more and more traction. Um, can you share with us, uh, Doctor, some success stories? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I can. Um, there, there's many of them, um, and, I, and I think um, there's been successes with people who are uh, addicts and then people who are family members. Um, one story that hit me early on was, um, I think it was maybe our third or fourth event. I know it was winter, and um, a woman came. And at that time, uh, our format was somewhat different where um, we met as a group and had um, the speaker who I mentioned earlier, the speaker who gave their story, we had that first. Um, And then people had questions and comments after that. Well, this woman started crying, and she was saying that, she was just so thankful for the event because she was able to save somebody's life um, after she came here and got a Narcan kit the prior month. And so it just was like hit me how much, you know, it's hard for us to measure the effectiveness of Conversations for Change because it's a community event. But when you hear stories like that, you, you know that it's making a difference. And, and that sort of keeps us going, right? It gives us motivation. And then there's other success stories where um, – somebody has come into East End, because East End is a, is a community center that has open doors, and they've come into East End over the years, even before Conversations for Change, and then started coming to Conversations for Change. I spoke with Kevin, one of the Conversations for Change success stories. I started using, I guess, when I was probably, you know, experimental drugs. Uh, I was probably about 14. Uh, I came up in a single-family home, parent home. My father was murdered when I was five years old. So uh, a lot of my influences came from my environment 
And needless to say, you know, I um, I was raised in uh, Dayton, Ohio, on the west side of Dayton, Ohio. And um, there was always, there's always been some type of substance in our community, in my community. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as I got older, um, before I turned 14, I was getting straight A's in school. Uh, but I got to that age where I guess you know how we get promiscuous. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started following the crowd. My grades dropped off. Um, and uh, I got into a lifestyle, you know, and it, it took a long time before my addiction took over. First, it was, like I said, it was just recreational and experimental. But at some point, it crossed that line where uh, it turned into an addiction. Uh, and um, I don't know, I used probably, well, probably about 55 years. I've been to four treatment centers only to come back into the same environment and relapse again. Hmm. Um, what was your drug of choice, Kevin, if I could ask? Uh, anything that got me high. <laughs> anything, I mean, I've used some of everything. Kevin talks about going to his first Conversations for Change meeting. I discovered Conversations for Change a little over a year ago. I, um, Like I said, I belong to the Dayton Fellowship, well, to the Fellowship of Narcotics Anonymous, and we have a lot of meetings at what we what is, is known as the Dayton Fellowship Club, which is part of RAMCO, under the Adamus Board here in Montgomery County. And um, they had one here. They had a conversation for change here. And I came to it. And uh, they had a few speakers. Uh, they, we talked about the Narcon training. And at that time, uh, this fentanyl had got real prevalent in our community. People were dying. And uh, I sit through that, that, and I took the Narcon training. It was just some of the information. And when all of the different community resources that showed up here it was just amazing. And I got involved with it at that point. And uh, I've been involved with it ever since. So it got me into uh, peer support. So now I'm taking a training to be a certified peer supporter here in Montgomery County and throughout the state of Ohio. So it changed my life. Basically, uh, it made me realize that there's more to life than just the streets of, of Dayton, Ohio. Kevin talks about how Conversations for Change inspired him to give back. In January, I take the uh, the 40-hour course. I'm doing the online training now and uh, the, the online certification part of it, to be a uh, certified peer supporter. And in January, I take the uh, 40-hour course, and then I take the state test. So, you know, I feel that, you know, it's time to give back to some of the, maybe I can help someone coming up behind me. They don't have to go through the same struggles that I went through over the years. I ask if Kevin had some advice for others. What I would like to say that uh, it makes a difference if you would just only give yourself a chance to live and, and go to a Conversation for Change event uh, you you know you would you'll get a lot of good information to hopefully help you change your life. Um, like I said, they even do Narcon training and they, they do a um, when during that workshop, you know, they give you a lot of information about and statistics on on how people are just dying, you know, and and how deadly it is. And uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, we out here in, in the community will use substances not knowing the consequences, and. Um, with the, with the educational part of the conversation of changes is bringing those consequences to, to you know to the format is letting us know that hey if you keep if you continue to do this that you know you may not be here tomorrow because just a small uh, amount of it can kill you whereas whereas before you know drugs wasn't that that potent in our community but now I mean a pinhead will kill you so uh, the conversation of change I think is really trying to uh, 
get people to realize that there's a, there's a way out. This Cover 2 podcast is sponsored by Relink.org. Relink.org is an online research tool that allows you to quickly locate addiction recovery and reentry resources in your area. It includes everything from treatment to housing and employment. Go to Relink.org today to find services or add a resource for free. With Relink.org, help is just three clicks away. Dr. Huber talks about their plans to help other communities start Conversations for Change programs. We feel that the things that we have learned over the four years can really benefit another community, not just because we know it works, but because we've learned. And so somebody starting from grassroots may have to go through all those growing pains if a toolkit or a manual or some consultants or advisors is not available. And so we want to make that available to communities. Um, and some of the steps in creating that manual and toolkit are disseminating. And so we've disseminated uh, across Ohio at conferences. We actually had the director of East End Community Center um, go. She was, she was invited to fly uh, with Chief Beal from Dayton to Washington, D.C., to speak about this program. And so I would say into the second half year, third year, we began to get national coverage. Um, and so that just motivated us more and more to say, hey, you know, we've got to get something out there. We can help other communities do this. Dr. Huber shares some of the keys to their success. The key is, is um, really tapping into the community, which is hard to do, but it's really, it, it's, having the support of outside of community members, particularly law enforcement. Um, we have done the program in another local community near Dayton, and that Conversations for Change ran for about two years. And what we learned, um, and, and the reason that we're not doing it anymore, is that we just could not get the support of law enforcement. So why is that so important to the program? Let me give you an example. Um, before Conversations for Change, if a police officer was in the East End area um, walking up and down the streets, the neighborhood would just be you know, afraid and not open their door. They'd be afraid of the police coming to them because they might be on probation or they might have a charge against them or they might just have a fear of police. Um, so... Through Conversations for Change and through this community involvement with law officers and the law officers, they know these people in the community because they've arrested them or they've, they were with somebody who was arrested. They know many of the people by first name. And the, those community members will, will say, oh, I like you know, Officer Smith or Officer Jones. And this, this culture has shifted so now, when we have called GROW, where a law officer and an EMT go out to somebody's house, I'm sorry, and a peer supporter, after they've overdosed, um, in a couple, you know, after the overdose and they're back home, those people are actually opening their doors now. And they have said things like, I never thought a police officer would care about me. I never thought that the community would care about me. And so you, you just, if you really don't have that, it's hard to get past and it's hard to get um, the people in the community thinking that the police aren't there to harm them. They're really there to help them.
And then when they see them at a conversation for change event in plain clothes and they recognize them, they'll just call them by their first name because they know them and, and they've come to know them. And that officer may have helped them get into treatment or that officer may have helped them get their friend into treatment. So, so that's just that's one of the keys. And another key is um, getting the word out, you know, getting the word out to the people um, who really need this type of help. And the, the third key is really going to the community, right? So even though East End is in the community, we needed to find a spot, a local spot, where many people could take the bus or walk to a local church that was convenient. Otherwise, they're just not going to get there. So that, that's really another key is, you know, location. Um, and then, of course, the quality of the program once it's implemented. You know, what sort of activities are there? Um, what is the what is the atmosphere? And I can tell you from doing this for four or five years now, and I attend all of the events, and we ask people when they're leaving, you know, tell me what you like and tell me what we, you, we can do differently. Well, you know, we want to help the community. We want to help you. What can we do differently? And I have never had anyone say to me, I can't think of anything. You guys are great. This is this is amazing. This is incredible. I I I just I have not had a person. Um, they're just very very satisfied when they leave the event. I think some are overwhelmed that that we care that much to to um, coordinate and go to this length, this effort to have them involved in the community. So it's also encouraging that because of the success of this program, it spawned other programs like the one that you mentioned a little earlier, the Grow program. Uh, get recovery options working out in the community, as well as your Peers for Change program designed to connect peers to those that really need the the help from peer support in recovery. Definitely. Um, and GROW it was, is another grassroots effort um, that sort of was percolating when we started Conversations for Change, um, and, and that sort of grew um, out of community need from the number of overdoses that were happening in the community um, because GROW is a team that go, they actually go to the overdose and save the person's life if possible because there's an EMT and if possible a peer supporter is with them and when the EMT and the police officer and medics are working with the person, if there's a friend or family member there, then the peer supporter talks with them. They're going when there's an overdose? They're responding to the overdose? They are. Yep, they're called on every overdose. They may not be the first responder, but they are um, uh, alerted. And if they're not at the hospital, say, transporting somebody else or um, at some other place where they, where they can't respond, um, but they will, they will go um, to every single overdose in that area if possible. Well, thank you very much, Doctor. I really appreciate your time today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me, and I, I appreciate your work. I think it's wonderful to have situations that, that a person went through something very, very sad and unfortunate and turned it into something positive. So I appreciate your work, and I know my team does too. We've been talking with Dr. Mary Huber, one of the creators of Conversations for Change, a program that helps connect addicts and their families with the recovery resources they need. Each month, treatment providers, people in recovery, and people looking for help gather with their families to share a meal, get trained in Narcan use, hear recovery stories, and get connected with treatment providers and peer support specialists. The program began in 2014 in Dayton, Ohio, 
and today helps community members find treatment, housing, jobs, and identify and help address other barriers to their recovery. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.